Last week I started, and it's going to, because we had communion and so forth, I only got through about half the message. So we're going to be talking on the same subject, but we're going to finish up the last half this morning. We're looking in 2 Corinthians. If you got your Bibles, I'm going to read the, the section that we'll be speaking from this morning. And then I want to share with you a, <coughs> a bit of a personal illustration, uh, kind of accentuating what we're going to be talking about, and then we'll get into the, the passage itself. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to be starting at verse 5. The Apostle Paul is speaking, and he says, But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent not to be too severe. This punishment was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive for if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Now catch this powerful statement. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Father, I pray now that you bless our time together this morning. I pray the Holy Spirit might have freedom to move. Lord, this is a tough subject that we're discussing this morning. Many of us, if not all, have gone through very difficult times with those that have basically turned their backs on you, maybe betrayed, maybe even someone in this room. And it's hard, and it's harsh, and it's tough to deal with, yet, Lord, you've given us some wonderful principles, some guidelines in the Word of God. So, Lord, I pray as we look at what happens when a brother or sister stumbles, if you will, that they walk away from you for a time. Lord, I pray that you'd help our hearts to do the right thing as we'll learn from Scripture this morning. Now, Lord, as always, we pray, if anyone's here that doesn't know Christ, might they find him before they leave here this morning. For those that do know, if they died, they go to heaven. I pray that you'd encourage us, that you'd strengthen us, and Lord, that uh, we would learn from your text this morning how to treat those that may not be walking in a path that's honorable to you. So, Father, revive the saved, save the lost, in Jesus' name. Amen. It was in the mid-80s when Valerie and I were basically starting out. Happy birthday. And uh, that's my wife. And uh, we were gung-ho in ministry. And, and life is good. And we're still gung-ho, by the way. Maybe more gung-ho now than we were back in the 80s because we love doing what we're doing. But uh, when we were starting a church... I met another young preacher, if you will, very young, with his wife, and uh, Valerie and I became good friends with them. They stayed, uh, we worked together in church work in the Milwaukee land area, and just a wonderful couple. We loved them, and, and they were very close to us. Several years later, as uh, we parted paths, and uh, they moved down to Illinois and began to do some work down there, and things were going well, at least so it seemed. Things began to change, communications started to wane, and uh, we went down a few times, visited them. But something uh, began to happen in their lives. 
something began to happen in their marriage. And things were not going well. And this dear couple that had gotten married, basically, and went into the ministry, all of a sudden things took a pretty dramatic turn when their marriage began to crumble. These were good, wonderful, godly Christian individuals. But something got into their life, something got into their marriage that began to destroy it. Valerie and I tried to be friends to them and help and encouragement, but to no avail. Finally, the the marriage literally crumbled and divorce became evident and that's where they ended up. This young preacher who loved the Lord, and I I believe they both loved the Lord, but things just didn't go in the right direction and they ended up splitting up. That young man who was engaged in ministry, this young lady who was engaged in ministry, dropped out. Basically, their lives went from one of serving God, loving God, working with each other to serve God, now became a spiritually dry home. Both of them departed. We lost contact with them for many years. I knew by, because, and I'm not going to state their names this morning, but I I knew very well what their names were, and I tried to find them, and they went dark. I mean, you you talk about falling off the grid. No social media, nothing taking place, couldn't find them. Wanted to try and help them, but couldn't. And they didn't want to be helped at that time. Because what happened, they became so disgruntled, they became so upset, they knew the Christian community, at least from their perspective, would shun them because of what took place in their marriage. Well, quite untrue, but that's what their perception was. And it's the perception of many Christians that have tough times and life all of a sudden takes a dramatic turn and one that... uh, not necessarily that the, the church, and we'll just call it the church this morning, or Christians would approve of. And it was unfortunate. Finally, I don't know how many years passed, and uh, it was either Valerie or I, where we, their, their names came up, and it's like, man, let's see if we can, maybe they're, they're, they're settled down now a bit, and we can reach into their lives. And I finally found his name on Facebook, and it's, and uh, he had posted that he had just been remarried. So I'm like, okay, let's see if we can start the relationship again. So folks, here's what happens. He was out of church, wanted nothing to do with it, and he was scared. to. I, I, I instant messaged him off of Facebook, and it's like, hey, buddy, how you doing? I said, I missed you. Uh, I'd like to get together with you. Now, he lived way down in a southern state. And I said, I'd love to get together with you, take you and your, your wife out to eat. And you say, well, Pastor, are you, uh, are you saying that uh, you wanted to, to make things right with uh, this individual and help him? That's exactly what I'm saying. And that's exactly what we'll see in Scripture this morning. You see, yes, they went through tough times. Yes, things crumbled. Yes, things didn't go in, if you will, the perfect biblical sense. But it's like, here's a friend. We served together. We loved each other. But he fell off the grid because he didn't want to suffer the remarks that he was thinking that people like myself might give him. No love, no care, no compassion, not understanding, just basically throw me to the dogs and leave me alone. 
And that's how he felt. I finally got a hold of him, and uh, shocking, I was doing a prophecy conference down in uh, a particular state I won't name, and I knew he lived down there. I'm like, listen, let me take you out to eat. He's like, and I knew he was, he's like scared to death. Is he going to chew me out? Is he going to, you know, harass me? What's he going to do? Tell me I'm a rotten sinner. I wanted to love on him. He'd gone through the, he'd gone through the depths of depression, if you will. He'd gone through the, the heartache of having God's people, if you will, at least again from his perspective, that would shun him and give him a hard time. Valerie and I showed up at the restaurant, and he was there. You could tell that he he and his uh, and his new wife, they were very very gun shy, if you will, about what to say and how to say it and how Valerie and I were going to respond to him. Well, I responded to him like he was my best friend. You say why? He did wrong. He he, he messed up. I, okay, I agree. But that's done behind, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing on. It's like it's time he suffered enough. It's time to bring him back in, to love on him, and to help him. And if we ever find his, uh, his ex-wife, we'll do the same with her. You say, well, why would you do that? Well, let's take a look at the Scripture again. And uh, we started with this last week. How do you respond to a Christian who stumbled in their walk with the Lord? How, how do you deal with that? Now, at the beginning, when uh, maybe there's some hope of restoration, um, Maybe you are a little bit uh, trying to push in a particular way and trying to hold folks accountable, and that's the proper thing to do. If there's a way to restore, if, if there's anyone on earth that Valerie and I or anyone else could have helped restore their relationship before it ended in disaster, we would have tried that, and we did try, but it, it just didn't go anywhere. So it happens. So once someone goes in a direction that may not be the, the best plan, if you will, from God's Word, and they've stumbled, they've gone through a tough time, what do you do with them after the error has existed? So what is the biblical response towards a Christian? I'm not talking about an unsaved person here. I'm talking, and and Paul's talking about, and the Corinthian church, as we know, was a very corrupt church when it first started, and Paul was dealing with all sorts of issues in that particular church when it first started. It was a horrible pagan culture uh, that the Corinthians came out of. If you say the word Corinthian, I mean, that was about, it was, and, and I don't mean to be curse here, but it's basically like swearing at somebody. You're just like Corinthian. Back in the day, it was a horrible thing to call someone. So uh, there was corruption, if you will, and Paul is trying to deal with this now. Well, what happens after someone errs? They do wrong. How should they be treated? So uh, again, we're going to, uh, we looked at basically the first point and a half last week, and we'll finish up. I'll do a very quick review for those that weren't here, and then we'll move forward. So we're going to examine three biblical actions God's people should entertain when dealing with an erring Christian. All right, so last week we looked at the first two points, appropriate action towards basically an erring Christian. Now, immoral, not meaning strictly from an intimate sense, immorality from anything that's unpleasing to God. So a better word would be erring. So the sorrow caused by an erring Christian, and, and we looked last week, and Paul was saying, listen, uh, 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 I understand 
There's people that have done wrong in the church, and he doesn't name who they are. He doesn't even name the sin that they were committing, but he's, he's looking at this and saying, man, these people have erred. They've done wrong, and, and it's caused grief within the church, and, and the folks are upset about it. And then he says, listen, there's a biblical sanction for the erring Christian, and here's the two verses, but if anyone has caused grief, He's not grieved me, but all of you to some extent not to be too severe. Then he goes into the first step. There was punishment involved. There's accountability involved. It's like, listen, okay, you've done wrong. And uh, let's see if we can remedy that. Maybe there's some type of sanction that's there or some type of help that's implemented. And maybe they repent. Maybe they get right. And maybe they don't. Well, what happens when they don't, at least at that time? And he says this, the punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a person, man or woman. So he's like, listen, we tried to get some of these people. They were erring. They were doing wrong. We, we, we worked on them. We had to do some sanctions, if you will. But now it's time to stop. Now it's time to, you tried. It didn't work. Or maybe it did work. And the person now is back to the place where they've realized the error that they've committed and they want to move on with their life. The Christian community sometimes says, we're not going to let you move on with your life. You did wrong. Now you're going to suffer the rest of your life. Is that a godly way to approach this? Of course not. And, and, and when every, by the way, is there anyone that we know of on this planet living today? And we, we could count Christ in this because he's living, but he gets an exemption because Christ is without sin. Is there any other person on this earth that's without sin? No, there's not. Now, again, there's got to be accountability. It's not like, well, it's a free-for-all at the beginning. No, if somebody is doing wrong, they're erring, it's our responsibility to try and help them go in the right direction. But regardless of whether they immediately respond to get right, that's easy. If they don't, and they do like this young couple did, and they, I mean, just everything blew up. They leave church work. They leave, basically stop going uh, uh, to church because it's like, I can't go back to church. It's too embarrassing. You know, folks, and those watching on the Internet, maybe somebody like that's watching today. And it's like, it's, I can't go back to church. It's just too tough it's too hard it's too crippling to my soul i can't do it I, i'm embarrassed by some things that happened in the past you know what i say forget the past and come on down you know god's people said Amen. i mean listen we're a church full of sorry i don't mean this personally but i kind of do this is a church full of sinners starting right here in the pulpit you say well you you shouldn't be a sinner you're a pastor well, folks, until we get to heaven, is anyone perfect? No, and I'm not perfect. Dr. Loransky last night at uh, the Valentine's banquet, and uh, boy, I've heard more comments about this one uh, uh, thing that he said. And uh, he said, you know, and, and I still, I think he's lying. No, uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he said, we've been married uh, 30 years, was it? We've been married 30 years, and we've never had an argument. Yeah, they, yeah, they're like, seriously? And uh, I, I heard more comments about that. And he says, and he, he kept bang, banging on that subject. He's like, listen, no, Marie and I, we've, we've never had an argument. I've never yelled at her. 
And then he said, well, my kids, he says, I've yelled at them a couple of times. And then what did he say he did? Apologized to him. He's just a meek mannered individual. Well, if I apologized every time I yelled at my kids, I'd still be on the phone. But, uh, it, 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 but he's just a different personality. And uh, it's like, and people are like, that's impossible. Well, I got to take his word for it. Um, he, he's the one that was the head of my dissertation committee for my first doctorate. So it's like, okay, I'm going to give him a pass because I don't want him to revoke what I already got. So, uh, but uh, uh, the, the issue is this. There are those that have that special, kind, gentle, tender spirit, and then there's people like me. And uh, it, it, it is, but it's uh, a different personalities. But the, the issue is this. When someone is, if you will, as the Scripture says, they're punished for doing wrong, something happens where sanctions are put out there, where uh, uh, maybe Matthew 18 is followed and someone is going into really going off the edge and doing something really wrong. And uh, you go to them individually and say, listen, you may want to rethink this. What it, you know, let's, let's think from God's perspective. And they say, no, nope, I'm not interested. Get out of here. Not interested in hearing it. And then uh, Matthew 18 says, well, let's take two or three others and go talk to uh, this person and see if we can make some headway. And uh, you try, and all of a sudden they say, nope, not interested. Get out of here. I'm doing what I'm going to do. And then it says you can take it to the church. Now, uh, we've never ever, and I, I really hope this never ever happens in my history of Christian work, never had to invoke church discipline. I, I just, it's saved for the most critical of cases. In other words, when somebody just absolutely is, refuses to trust God, they go into deep sin, and we've never seen that, and I hope I never do. Uh, but it's happened, and it happened in the Corinthian church, and that's why there was this horrible issue going on. They got punished. They probably got excommunicated is really what I think took place here. It's like they just hammered on them because they wouldn't get right. Then Paul says, well, you know, they were Christians. And if you're a Christian, who dwells with inside of you, Christian? Holy Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 6, 19. Know you not, Christian, that your body is the temple of what? The Holy Spirit who's in you. And the Holy Spirit got a hold of whoever these individuals were or individual was and uh, began to work on their heart and their life. And uh, all of a sudden the conviction came and uh, uh, they realized it's time to get right with God. And they did. And now Paul says, all right, they got right with God. Woo, this is a victory. Now let's get them back in. Let's help them. Let's support them. Let's move on. And the, some in the church said, uh-uh, not on my watch. We don't want them back here. And Paul then goes into the next part of this statement. So then he, uh, uh, well, we talked about forgive the sorrowful Christian. And uh, we looked at chapter, seven, or chapter 2, verse 7, first part, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive. Now, we spent a great deal of time on that last week. Forgive. It's the hardest thing for some people, even Christians, to do is to forgive those who have hurt them. It's tough. It's a major Christian discipline to be able to forgive those who have hurt you. It's like, well, you, you don't understand how bad it was. Well, maybe I don't, but God didn't put a particular clause on 
how much the hurt is versus how little the hurt is. It's like if someone gets right with God, they want to serve him, they want to get back in doing uh, the right thing. He says, y'all forgive him. Forgive him just as Christ forgave whom? Each of us. Colossians chapter 3. So down the contrary, ought rather to forgive. Well, what else did he say? He said, not only should we forgive those who have done wrong, especially, I mean, uh, uh, you ought to forgive everybody regardless whether they repent or not. Now, it doesn't mean you'll hold back some of uh, the accountability factors if they refuse to get right. But forgive folks. And, and it's such, you, you want to know how to have a stomach ache every night? You want to know how to throw up when you're trying to keep your food down? You want to know how to uh, uh, stay awake every single night of your life? You want to know how to feel bitter and anxious and upset every single day of your life? Be bitter against somebody, unforgiving, hold the grudge. And you know what? That little stinker that did the wrong, you know how much they're suffering? Goose egg, zero, nada, nothing. You're the one that's going to suffer. The guy or the gal that did the wrong act, they could care less about how it affects you, and yet we get, and we do. And it's hard to admit, isn't it? But, I mean, man, we get mad and we can't sleep and our stomachs hurt us and our mind hurts and we're getting headaches and it might even make us sick because we're so, oh, we're so infuriated what that person did. And what does God say? You want to stop having a headache every night? You want to, not, you want to finally get a good night's sleep? You want to be able to eat that... Uh, Hot taco without going to bed and keeping awake all night? <laughs> Forgive. Forgive. Is Carly in here? I, I talked about you last week, Carly. And, uh, okay, it's maybe not the best movie on earth, but me and Carly like the song, Let It Go. Let it go. Just let it go. And that's what God asks us to do. So we looked at uh, yes, last week, punish and forgive. Well, now what's the next step God gives to us? Comfort the sorrowful Christian, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and do what? Comfort him. Comfort her. All right. Yeah, you went wrong. Yeah, you did wrong, but I can tell. You're trying to do right now. You're trying to get back involved. You're trying to move forward with your Christian life. And God's people need to let it go and to start working with these folks and pulling them back in just like I believe we do here every single week at Union Grove Baptist Church, the church that God's love is building. Every single person that walks through those doors whether they're the chief of sinners or they're the best little person on earth is welcome at Union Grove Baptist Church. They just are. Now, if they're still walking in a, a bad way and they're not walking with God, we're going to try and help them. We're going to try and love on them. We're going to try and move them in the right direction. It's not, we're not condoning sin here, folks, by any stretch of the imagination. But when people come and it's like, wow, I, I, I want to... Do you know that people don't come to church because they're trying to live a rotten life? People that come to church, I mean, it takes a little, we start at 9 o'clock, a little earlier than some. I mean, you got to make an effort. You got to get out of bed. You got to get your clothes on. You got to get washed up. Now, some of you will go to work at 6 in the morning. You're like, yeah, 9 o'clock, that's my day's half over. 
<laughs> Looking at Justin. But uh, uh, for many folks, I mean, it's, it's a discipline. You got to get up. You got to get the kids ready for many of you. You got to walk through that door. And visitors are coming in here. They don't know what we're doing here. It's a strange place to them. And that's why it's got to be the church that whose love is building? It's God's love. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him. And what is the, from the Greek language, the word comfort basically console, encourage, speak words of encouragement, helping those who are hurting and down and suffering and showing them some real bona fide Christian love. It's exactly what he's saying. Comfort those. They've gone through a tough time. Their lives might have been wrecked and ruined. They're suffering. They're mentally in anguish sometimes. Things aren't going well, and they need somebody to come around side them and give them a hug and give them a little bit of love and to show them, yeah, uh, uh, life can be tough, but we're not here to beat you up. We're here to draw you back in and to love on you. Now, by the way, when I say give them a hug, men, keep your hands off the new ladies, and ladies, keep your hands off the men, uh, a kind of thing. That's not what I'm referring to. But uh, uh, ladies, you see another lady who's uh, uh, crying or hurting. Yeah, you, you go up to them just like I see you do almost every single week with folks that are suffering, and uh, uh, you give them a little hug and a little tenderness. Guys, uh, you say, Pastor, I've seen you go up to uh, some of the guys, and you put your arm around them. Yeah, you bet you I do, and I'm going to continue doing it. It's uh, why? Because trying to support them, trying to give them a little bit of uh, uh, help and, and uh, move them forward. So we just have to be careful how we do that, especially in our culture. But uh, it's right to love on people. Romans chapter 15. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the what? You want to find comfort, where do you find it? Right in God's word. Because the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing into the binding asunder, soul, spirit, and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, Hebrews 4.12. Why? Because God's word is powerful. It's God's word. And God's word does not return void. Verse 5, now may the God of patience and what? Now God only says, listen, you want comfort, there's two ways to get it. Get in the book. You're bitter, you're angry, you're upset. Read his word. It'll change your heart. It'll change your mind. It'll change your life. Uh, and I've, I haven't said this. Uh, I've repeated this illustration several times, not recently. I got saved when I was high school, when I first understood that I was a sinner, that I was lost, headed for hell. And I went to that little home Bible study across from my high school, and there for the first time I heard that, yeah, not only are you a sinner, not only do you deserve to go to the lake of fire for eternity, no better known as hell, but something happened to prevent that if, you, if you'll trust in it. And I'm like, well, what's that? I've been going to church all my life. How do you know for sure if you die, you go to heaven? And they said, well, it's very simple because the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus Christ, God's son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and three days later rose again to pay for every single one of our sins. And there's a high school student. I went home and I went down to my parents' basement, knelt down by a little old couch down there and I prayed which I had no idea what the sinner's prayer was but I prayed it <laughs> said God I know I'm a sinner I know I don't deserve to go to heaven 
But I believe that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for my sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead. And I'm placing my faith and trust in Jesus this very moment. And I did, and I never turned back. Gave my life to Jesus that very night. And uh, uh, why? Because this dear lady at the home Bible study, she shared with me from the Scriptures, which are powerful. The Scriptures which also give God's people comfort. And now it says, now may the God of patience and what? Comfort. Is God the God of comfort? Absolutely he is. You see, some of us and, and, and many of you that may have had, uh, some of you that may have had fathers that were harsh and uh, maybe very terse. And you look at God as up in heaven doing this. I'm going to get you. Just mess up. I'm going to take it out on your hide. And we get this bad picture of God. That's not what God's doing up in heaven. In fact, God made this very clear. God said in his word that he is not willing that any should perish. You see, God loves you this morning. Did God, and let's go to the scriptures for a moment. What did God originally create hell for? Say it. The devil and his what? The devil and his angels. The devil and those uh, uh, angels that decided to follow Satan, Lucifer, and rebelled against God. That's why God made hell. Did, you, did God make hell for you? No. He did not. The unfortunate thing, though, that every single person that rejects Jesus is just the same as the demonic world. Unfortunately, that will be their end. But that's not God's desire for you because what? He loves you. So it says, now may the God of patience and comfort grant you Christians to be what? Like-minded. Like-minded. Uh, we had deacons meeting last week. And uh, I think Larry's out of town today, but it was his first meeting. Larry Nitsch, who you voted in uh, just a couple weeks ago, he was at his first meeting. And uh, all the guys were in there, and we're going through business. And, and uh, uh, some businesses uh, could be very controversial at times as well. I think we should do this, and I think we should do that. And at times we, have, we do have those discussions. At the end, I, it's like I said to Larry before the guys left, I said, this is the way every meeting is. The guys get along. Yes, there may be a little bit differing opinions on things, and we had a couple differing opinions. And, uh, but by the end, everybody said, yep, I'm on board with this. Let's do it. Every single time, that's exactly how it goes for three years that I've been here. You say, and, and Larry says, you mean you guys don't fight and yell at each other? He, of course, he was kidding at least I hope he was. <laughs> and I said, no. No. Why? Because we're like-minded. They're, they're not yes-men. I'll tell you that because we do have differing opinions. But by the end of the day, we all say, all right, I can see that point. I can see that point. But I'm going to go with you. And, and we get consensus every single time. Why? Because uh, uh, they're men that are led by God. They're led by the Holy Spirit. And even though uh, we may have differing ideas at times, by the time we get to the end, we try and analyze it, see what is the best thing for the church, what's the best thing for the people, and bam, we come up with a, I think we always come up with a great decision. And uh, uh, that's the way it's been. Why? Because God's people are like-minded, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all what? Comfort. Listen, if you're suffering this morning, 
could be from a variety of different things, and it's like, Brother Rich, if you only knew, if you only knew my heartache that I'm going through right now, if you only knew the pain that I'm going through right now, and as I look across the room, I see folks that have lost uh, loved ones, and I don't mean to point people out, but we know, and uh, look at Jim right this morning, uh, Jim Onspaugh, and lost his father just a little over a week ago. Look back at Nancy and uh, lost her husband just a few weeks ago. And there's so many others that you, 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 you hurt and you pain and, and you suffer. And we could go through, I mean, there's just people all over this room that have lost loved ones in the last year, a little bit more than that. And, and your hearts are, are broken, it hurts, and it's painful. And uh, I look at some of our young folks up here that lost folks, uh, lost a daddy not that long ago and a young father, and it, it hurts, and it's painful. And it's like, how in the world do I make it when my pain is so severe and it hurts so bad? What do we do? Well, I say this, listen. Uh, uh, first, you go to the God of all comfort. Then you go to where the comfort comes from, which are the Scriptures. And then you go to God's people, and you keep coming, and you keep fellowshipping, and you keep getting a little bit of support. And uh, with all those things together, you can make it. And God says he is the God of all comfort, to help us through those tough times. Bible also says, uh, as we come down to the next point, to comfort the sorrowful Christian. So somebody walks in and uh, uh, it's like, okay, they've gone through it. Horrible things have happened. Now, now just think about it for a minute. When you think about folks that have gone into a horrible situation, it's just been terrible. Regardless of whether they should have done it or not, that's not the point right now. The point is they, they're broken. They're hurting. They're suffering. There's angst within their life. And now they want to do the right thing. They're trying to move forward. I, I just love what the Apostle Paul said. Listen, you forget those things which are behind and you press on. Press on. You don't stop. You press on. Forget those things. You, you say, well, I can't forget it. Well, I understand. Every, everything just doesn't all of a sudden disappear if you've been through horrible, catastrophic events. A lot of these things stick with you. But God's like, would you please, when someone comes and they've been hurt and they've been uh, uh, kicked, if you will, and they're down, don't keep kicking them. Reach down and help them up. How about the Good Samaritan? Guys laying on the side of the road. Beat up, bloody, sick. First couple of folks walk by. Yeah, whatever. Just another bum. Just another person. And all across the world, the Good Samaritan story when you go up towards Jerusalem, and I've gone on, there's a, a little stop off to the side about, I don't know, maybe a third of the way up the, heading up to uh, Jerusalem itself, and it's the Samaritan village. And I think about this story every time as we go up towards Jerusalem and the Good Samaritan walking along. I mean, those are deserted, barren, horrible desert-type conditions where this story took place. And here's this person, they're going to die out there in the sun and the heat and no water. And yet this guy comes along and says, hey, buddy, let me help you. I'll take care of you. 
Folks, that's why every single one of us should be. Do you, do you agree with that? I mean, that's what God's called us to do. It's hard. It's not easy. It's going the extra mile. And that's how God wants us to love on those. He says, so then on the contrary, you ought rather forgive and comfort him. We got past those two. All right, I'm forgiving him or her. I want to comfort him. He says, you know why we need to do that, friends? Lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much what? Sorrow. I'm not even sure how to phrase this correctly. How many of you just love to go home heartbroken, cry half the night, cry half the day, and just feel pain constantly? And God says, listen, would you have pity on these folks that are suffering, that are sorrowful? They're broken. They're hurting. And God says, listen, would you, would you gather around them? Would you show some compassion? Would, would, you, would you help them unless they be swallowed up with too much sorrow? What happens when you get too much sorrow in your life? All of a sudden you begin to deteriorate. You stop eating. You stop communicating. Finally you end up in bed. Won't get out of bed. And their lives slowly deteriorate until literally many of the people just can't function anymore because they've been swallowed up with too much sorrow. Folks, do you realize that there's a lot of folks in this, just within this confines of the Union Grove Baptist Church that have too much sorrow. They're going through tough times. Yes, they're still coming. Yes, they're still here. But my goodness, all the folks that are hurting and suffering, there's a lot in this room, right? This moment that needs your help and compassion. And I believe you show that. But don't give up doing that. Keep it up. And again, this is by no means saying we're not doing this, because I honestly think we do do a fairly good job. Now, somebody may be sitting out there and saying, listen, I'm in deep sorrow this morning, and nobody's come to me. Well, you know what? If that's you this morning... Can I please extend my hand to you? If you're one that's suffering, if you're somebody that's hurting and I haven't picked up on it or no one else has, I have a, our cell, my cell phone is in every single thing that's handed out. You just text me or you call me or you email me or you show up in the back and say, I can't make it anymore. And you know what? We're going to help you. And I promise you that. Uh, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. And here we go. Love the sorrowful Christian. Therefore, I urge you, Christian, to reaffirm your love to him or her. You say, uh, 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 well, I told them once that I love them, they ought to remember. That's the typical thing that, uh, uh, that was the old thing back when uh, Valerie and I were uh, in a church many years ago. In the, uh, actually, I can do it because uh, some of you, and I've, I've actually quoted them before, John R. Rice, an old, old preacher, he's been dead for many years, and uh, he always did one of these numbers, and he says, listen, he said, I told my wife once that I loved her, and if it ever changes, I'll let her know. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. Once does not work. I mean, it works for that time. Reaffirm your love. Reaffirm your love. Let 
People know you love them. It's absolutely imperative. And I'm going to end with this. Don't have a heart attack. I'm going to be done on time again. <laughs> I told this illustration, I don't know how long ago, but it's one of the, it's important. And I think it fits right in with where we're discussing today. So most of you know, and uh, some new folks may not, and it's like, well, how could you be in law enforcement for 32 years and a preacher for 40 years? Read the book. Um, David Clark, who was the sheriff I served under for 15 years before I took his place for two years, one of the most startling thing meetings that I ever went to was with the command staff and one of the individuals was retiring. She's tough. It was a female. She was tough. She was, I mean, she was, she was no-nonsense lady. And she wasn't well-liked because she was tough and hard and literally put up with no-nonsense. And by the way, she's a great Christian as well. She's a good friend. And the sheriff said, listen, let's do this uh, at this particular meeting. And the sheriff was not a kinesthetic guy. I mean, he was hardcore even with me, and I was probably one of his best friends, and it still was no nonsense. We didn't goof around together. And he said, listen, guys and gals, uh, this person is retiring. Let's say, I, I want to give everybody a chance to say something nice about, just something you remember. Room was stagnantly quiet. Nothing was said. I was the number two at that time, so I didn't feel obli- I didn't want to say anything. It's like let let everybody else have a chance. I talk enough. Don't say anything. <laughs> and he said, "Okay, folks." He said, uh, uh, and he's he's trying. I mean, he's like pulling teeth now. He's like, "Listen, folks, uh, which would uh, uh, somebody want to share something about uh, 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 the deputy inspector as she's uh, retiring?" Crickets, zero, nada, nothing. Finally, after an extremely uncomfortable length of time, I, I'm like, all right, I'm saying something. And I began to talk about her dedication and her commitment and how she had served the agency and served the community and so forth and went through a litany of different things. But that's not the important part. What the sheriff said next is what has struck me and it stayed with me. Probably one of the most profound and important things I ever heard him say in the 15 years I worked with him. And he said this, Don't wait until the funeral to tell somebody how you feel. It's just that simple. Don't wait until the funeral to tell somebody how you feel. And that stuck with me for years. You say, we hear you tell folks that you love them a lot. Why do you do that? Because I'm not going to wait to the funeral to tell them how I feel. Why, why do you tell folks from the pulpit that you love the people in the church and you care about them? Because that's how I feel and I'm not waiting till the funeral or my funeral <laughs> to tell you how I feel. 
Not going to wait. Listen, uh, uh, oh, we go back to that John R.A. story. I, I told her once that I loved her, and if it changes, I'll let her know. That's really bad theology, folks. <laughs> really bad. When's the last time you told your kids that you loved them? When's the last time you told mom or dad that you love them? When's the last time you told grandpa or grandpa that you love them? When's, when's the last time that you told a friend that you truly do care about? Not, not just being sarcastic, not just saying it to say it, but how about the friend that you truly care about and love? And uh, you say, well, what if they take it wrong? Well, I, I do this on occasion. If I really care about somebody, I want to be careful. I said, I'm speaking on a platonic level. I love you as a brother. Or I love you as a sister. Platonic means non-intimate for if you don't know what the word means. Listen, folks, we need to love folks. We need to love folks. And we need to take those in that are hurting. Finally, what's the greatest example I can give to you? Let's go to the last slide here. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The ultimate example of love. Jesus said, I'm going to demonstrate my love to you. And here's how I'm going to do it. You're lost, you're sinners, you don't deserve to go to heaven, but I'm going to come down from heaven, I'm going to go to a cross, I'm going to give my life to pay 100% for all your sins. Have you ever accepted that free gift, or are you going to let Jesus have died in vain? You see, you can't earn heaven by what you do. You can't pay for your sin by what you do. He already paid the entire price right on that cross. For God so loved the world, each one of us, that he gave his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever, anyone who would believe in him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for these dear folks that are here this morning. What a thrill it is to see the folks that I do love and I do care about. It's just exciting to be here every single Sunday morning. Now, Father, I pray that you'd help us. Lord, it's, it's tough and it's hard and it's a spiritual discipline. Yes, when uh, someone's held accountable, maybe they're not going to do the right thing at the beginning. Maybe they are going to turn their back on, on you for a bit. But oh, when that sinner says, I'm, I'm done sinning, I'm tired of it, I'm, I want to come back. I want to be back with God's people. Father, would we with open arms reach out as the prodigal son came walking down the road and the daddy said, listen, my son's coming home, my son's coming home. And he ran out, put his arms around his neck, pulled him back in and loved on him. Father, may we all be like that father who got his son back into the fold, loved on him and helped him to become a wonderful, productive, godly individual. Father, help us to do that. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with somebody, it's been hard, it's been tough. Would you forgive that person? Would you comfort that person? Would you pray for that person? Would you love on that person? Father, help us to do the right thing. Finally, if you're here this morning, we just gave the gospel a moment ago. You see, it all starts. You can't really love folks if you don't know Jesus. And the only way to know him is to start a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Four little things that we've already stated. I'll state them quickly again. Number one, you've got to understand that we're sinners. Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible tells us if we got what we deserve, the wages of our sin or of what we've earned because I, we've sinned is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Eternal separation from God in an awful place called the lake of fire, Revelation 21.8. But Jesus Christ, God's son, said, I listen, I'm going to demonstrate my love to you. I'm going to come down from heaven. I'm going to die on the cross for your sins. I'm going to be buried and three days later rise again. And God says, listen, you need to do one thing and one thing only is to receive that free gift of eternal life. For by grace, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace, God's free unmerited gift, are you saved, saved from sin, saved from the penalty of sin. For by grace are you saved, it's through faith. It is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of our works, lest any person should boast. Listen, right there where we are, how about receiving God's forgiveness this morning? How about uh, receiving eternal life this morning by placing your faith and what Jesus did for you. Father, I pray that you'd help God's people that know when they walked in here, if they died, they go to heaven. Help us, Lord, to love on folks as we, I believe, have been doing here in a wonderful way. And then, Father, finally, if, uh, uh, if there's someone here, if it's you this morning and saying, listen, I honestly didn't know this morning, maybe you're on the Internet, maybe you're in the building right now, and you said, when I walked in or when I turned you on, I didn't know if I'd go to heaven when I died. And I never understood that the gospel is about faith. It's not about me doing something. It's about placing my faith and trust in what Jesus already did. And I want to receive that free gift this morning. Well, why don't you take it right there where you are. Just reach out and take it. Say, oh God, by faith I'm receiving Jesus Christ as my Savior this morning. Did you do that? If you did, I want to rejoice with you. Let's say a prayer of thanksgiving together. If you placed your faith and trust in Christ, let's thank him for what he's done. Silently, maybe you want to say something like this. Dear God, Yes, when I walked in, I, I knew I was a sinner. And I knew because I've sinned, if I got what I deserved, I'd never make it to heaven. But I truly, by faith this morning, have realized that if I place my faith and trust in Jesus alone for what he did for me on the cross, that I could go to heaven when I die. And I'm receiving that free gift based on your promise and the word of God. Thank you for saving me and promising to take me to heaven when I die. Father, sealed decisions help us to do right. And all God's people said...